This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This is the Relic Radio Show, 60 minutes of radio drama brought to you every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com and made possible by the listeners. If you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, visit Donate.RelicRadio.com or click on the link on the website. And thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. This week, we begin our show with the Screen Guild Theater. We'll hear Hold Back the Dawn, their episode from February 8th, 1943. After that, it's You Are There and Columbus Discovers America. That episode aired July 28th, 1947. Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild Players. The Screen Guild play tonight, Hold Back the Dawn. The starring players... This is Charles Boyer. This is Susan Hayward. And this is Margaret Lindsay. Tonight, Lady Esther presents the Screen Guild players in Hold Back the Dawn, starring Charles Boyer as George Iscovescu, Susan Hayward as Emmy Brown, and Margaret Lindsay as Anita. George Iscovescu tells our story. Iscovescu is my name. Georges Iscovescu. Most of my life I had lived in Paris, Toledo, Biarritz, you know, following the rich. Rich women, to be exact. Oh, it's an easy life if you have a deep voice and know how to look at a woman. But Hitler changed all that. The rich ones headed for America and, well, I had to follow them. Unfortunately, there had been some scandal. So I thought I'd better enter where I wasn't known. To the back doors, you might stay. And so I went to Mexico, to a little town on the edge of California. I would see the American consul, so I thought, and then I would walk right through the gates. Uh, Mr. Escobesco, your papers show that you're a Romanian. Yes, I was born in Bucharest. You know all applicants for permanent entry into the United States are admitted on quota. And the Romanian quota is very small and very crowded. I'm afraid you'll have to wait. Oh, wait? Yes, between five and eight years. Five to eight years, like a prison sentence. Five to eight years in that dreary little town. They say the border fence is 12 feet high. To me, it was a thousand miles. I waited there for months. I waited while my money went. I waited, and I thought sometimes it would be better to be dead. Well, that's how it was that day Anita saw me standing at a little hotel bar. Presenting George and Anita, the dance sensation of the Riviera. Anita! Stop staring, George. It's me. Oh, idiot that I am. The sight of you is still like touching a high-tension wire. What are you doing here, Anita? I'm down from Los Angeles with some people. 
Those drunks over there. It's not the same Anita, George. Hey, it's not the same, George. From Cartier's to a Mexican pawn shop. That's my story. You're living here at the hotel? Yeah, waiting to get across. A crummy joint. I was Australian, remember? That's right. <laughs> I served some time down here myself. How long? Oh, not too long. Didn't you notice the wedding ring? Meet Mrs. Shaughnessy. Married? To an American. That way you send your papers to Washington and it only takes four weeks. But four weeks? That's all. It's really simple. Anita! Your husband? No, Shaughnessy was a jockey, five feet three. Once over the border, I told her to a judge. I said a woman wants a man, not a radiator cap. Fifty dollars, divorce granted. So easy, eh? Just a few weeks. Hey, Anita! George, all these years, with all the others... I've shut my eyes and pretended it was you. Anita, come on. George, I want to keep my eyes open again. You hear me, Anita? George. Now, you better go. He's getting mad. Please, George. And now, besides, I have to leave. There's someone I must see. Someone? A woman? No doubt important. Yes, of course. Just now, the most important woman in the world. Yes, she was most important now. This unknown woman I must find. This woman who might open up the gates for me. I didn't find her until late that afternoon, and then it was pure luck that it should be a Miss Brown. Her car had been damaged, and I found her standing in front of a garage. But you've had my car all day. Can't you give me some idea how much longer it'll be? Well, not until tomorrow morning. I must get a part from across the border. Oh, what can I do? She seemed so helpless and so young. Oh, it was an easy thing to ask if I might help. It was quite natural that I should suggest she used a phone at my hotel. I think you're being very kind. They didn't even have a phone at the garage, and I promised to be back in Azusa, that's in California, by dark. Well, they'll be in a perfect tizzy about me back home. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Your parents and your husband, perhaps? Oh, I haven't any husband. Oh. I just teach school. Oh, I see. A cigarette? No, thanks. The school board doesn't approve. Mr. McAdams is so strict. He's our principal, you know. He always says... Is anything wrong? Why do you look at me like that? You know, it's amazing. Your name... Your name could not be Margot. Why, no, it's Emmy. She had the same hair. Only, it was always must by the wind, that winter at Samaritz. Who are you talking about? Oh, I saw... I saw another woman in your face, Margot. Of course, the eyes were different. Hers were bad. They were? Oh, yes, I had to run away. I had to come here to the end of the earth. To know that I really hated her. That I had always hated her. Oh, I'm sorry. No, just look at me, Miss Brown. Keep looking at me. Oh, it's like, like a sudden breeze on a stifling day. Please. <laughs> Poor little Miss Brown. She never had a chance. She was so worried when they told her that the motor part was missing... But they couldn't get another till the next day. And she was so grateful when I fixed it with the landlord flies that she could stay in the lobby of our crowded little hotel overnight. She did not know the trap was set. Poor little Miss Brown. Her neat, tidy senses were all thrown out of gear. And then, oh, it was almost dawn, I think, there in the lobby, when she woke up. Mr. Scavescu, what are you doing here? You have no right to... No. Of course, I have no right. No right to be here. No right to watch your face. To learn it like a poem. 
no right to whisper to your heart to tell you that I love you. That I love you very much. Must go away. Right now. Please. Oh, you needn't be afraid, Miss Brown. You see, it's getting light. Soon they'll be waking up. The shops will open. And you'll be gone forever. You can't change that any more than... Well, any more than... And we can hold back the dawn. You'll be gone and... Oh, please don't come so near. You needn't be afraid, Miss Brown. Not of a dead man. I am dead, you see. I've asked myself a thousand times why I should go on breathing, talking and walking when I was dead. Perhaps I know now. Perhaps, perhaps it was to see the sun rise once again. To hear enchantment in a woman's voice. To feel her nearness, the warmth of her lips. No. And of course it's no. Oh, no infringement of the regulations for you. No rebellions. No violent desires. If you found one in your sober little mind, you would tell you to go and stand up in the corner, wouldn't you, Miss Please. Brown? Not for you, the sudden flash that lights up your whole life. One split second to snatch at happiness before it's dark again. Oh, it's not this kiss I want. It's all your kisses. All your life. Look at your hand, Miss Brown. My hand? Yes. See? It's a wedding ring. I, I put it on your finger as you slept. It was my mother's. Your mother's wedding ring. Yes, you see. You see how wild a dream can be. But you are wise and sane and cool. You needn't be afraid, Miss Brown. I'm going now. No, wait. Don't go. I I mean, about your being lonesome. Other people are lonesome, too. So lonesome, I almost gave up waiting. Oh, my dear. They said I was crazy, but I knew all the time. Way deep in my heart, I knew that someday, somehow... Even if Azusa was at the end of the world, someone, someone like you, I knew you'd come. There aren't any regulations now. If you still want to kiss me, please, just so I'll know it's real. Well, little Miss Brown, she never had a chance. Within an hour, she was my wife. She wept a little, enjoyed, I think, and then she was gone. She had to go back to her school, and I told her it was best that way. She could explain it better to her folks, and it would only be four weeks. <laughs> yes, four weeks, until my papers were approved, and I could come to her. And so she went and left us to our plans. I mean, Anita and myself. George, it's too wonderful. Once in the States, we'll be a team again. George and Anita, dancers for the elegant. Chicago, San Francisco, Hollywood, New York. That's right, with a short stop in Azusa. Half an hour. Just enough to tell me of a love that was too great to last, of a mistake too lovely not to have been made. <laughs> well, so good and you so low. Oh, she's simple, George. She'll brush off like a drop of rain. Three days later, Emmy's letter came. Huh. It was so young, so full of love, that didn't interest me. It was the letter she enclosed that I wanted, the one that was to go to Washington. I apply herewith for the entry of my husband, George. <laughs> that made me laugh with joy. The board and fence was only 12 feet high again. Anita typed the envelope. She smiled and said we ought to see a little champagne. Yes, that's how we happened to be sitting in the bar. That's what I've always said, George. Start with champagne. It'll be champagne all the way. Well, I hope it will be better vintage. Kiss me for luck. All right, for luck. Happy landings, Mrs. Shaughnessy. Well, remember me? The name is Hammock. Uh, yes, yes, of course. This is Mr. Escobescu. Uh, George, Mr. Hammock is from Washington. 
with the immigration department. Oh. Yes, Mrs. Shaughnessy and I are old friends. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, how is Mr. S? I really don't know. You don't? Well, now, isn't that a little strange? Well, you see, I mean, we've, we've been divorced about a year. You know, Mrs. Shaughnessy, there's been an awful epidemic of marrying and divorcing up and down the border lately. The department's got a new theme song. Is it love or is it immigration? <laughs> well, if you'll forgive me, Oh, think... no harm's meant when no harm's due. Forget it, folks, forget it. I'll uh, be seeing you. George, I'm worried. I wish he hadn't met you here with me. And kissing, too. Why, is kissing forbidden in the United States? Don't joke, he's very smart. He'll find out you were married here quite suddenly. Suppose he does. As long as Amy stays at home. Oh, she just will. Of course she will. I told her to. I told her she'd be better off. Just give me four more weeks Senor. and... Senor. Eh? What's fighting Flores now? Senor Iscovesco. She is here. Upstairs. What? I sent her to your room. What are you talking about? Who is here? Your wife, senor. Your wife. And so the curtain falls on the first act of Hold Back the Dawn, starring Charles Boyer, Susan Hayward, and Margaret Lindsay. Before we begin our second act, a word from our hostess, Lady Esther. I was reading about the various regulations for the wax and the waves the other day. And do you know what I discovered? Well, I learned that an absolute must for the girls in the service is that they can wear their makeup, but it must be inconspicuous. Now, I like that rule. I've always said that the loveliest girls are the girls who use makeup to bring out the natural beauty of their skin. It's such a mistake to use makeup that's conspicuous and covers up your skin beauty like a mask. And you no longer need to. For you know, so many women have written to tell me that Lady Esther face powder really does bring out the fresh, natural beauty of their skin. They say that Lady Esther face powder is so soft and fine, so wonderfully even in color, that it's delightfully different from other face powders they've used. And they're quite right. For there is a very real difference between my face powder and almost any other powder you can buy. You see, Lady Esther face powder is twice blended. Now, the first blending is just the usual mixing and sifting. And at this point, it's the texture of almost any face powder. But I don't consider it fine enough or sufficiently even in color. In fact, I call it raw. So my powder goes through a second blending, the famous twin hurricane blending, where tiny particles of color and powder are blown together at hurricane speed, and the result is a powder of exquisite fineness in texture and almost unbelievable evenness of color. That's why Lady Esther face powder gives your skin a thrilling new softness, a more delicate coloring. That's why you have the charm and appeal of fresh, natural loveliness when you use Lady Esther face powder. And now the curtain rises on the second act of Hold Back the Dawn, starring Charles Boyer as Georges Iscovescu, Susan Hayward as his wife, Emmy, and Margaret Lindsay as Anita. Iscovescu continues his story. Well, 
must imagine what I felt when I discovered him he had come back. I was distracted, terrified. If Mr. Hammock met her, he would suspect the truth. Our marriage was a fraud. Our wedding license just a pass for me to get into the States. I thought I must get Amy out of this hotel, away, before he even talks to her. And then I thought, why not? They've given her a week's vacation. We can go away somewhere. What is more natural than a honeymoon? Oh, Amy did not question me. She was too filled with happiness. In a few minutes, we were packed and gone, driving off in the rain. Amy beside me in the station wagon. Oh, you'll do fine in Azusa, George. Really, there are lots of opportunities there. It's an up-and-coming little place. The fastest-growing town between Los Angeles and San Berdu. Ah, that's really something, eh? Well, you know why we call it Azusa? Everything from A to Z in the USA. <laughs> You'll see when we get back. George, where are we going? I don't know. I mean, uh, anywhere. Over a road where it leads. Maybe to a lake or a palace with all the windows lighted. Really? <laughs> Maybe to a little fishing village with nets spread out in the wind. This is the way I always dreamed it would be. Listen to the windshield wiper, George. Whispering to you and me. Together. 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 I had planned to take her to Santa Thomas, a matter of some 50 miles, but in the dark and all that train, I lost my way. We drove all night, and in the morning, came upon a little village by the sea. We drove down to the shore because it was so hot. She swam and played in the water like a child, and then she came to me. Mm, that water felt so good. It's, it's just like lime freeze. Feel my cheek. George, will you kiss me now? My dear. No, wait. First, say the words. What words? I'll take the ring off. You can slip it on again. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. With this ring I thee wed. Say it, George. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. With this ring I thee wed. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. Thank you, George. I love my husband very much. She loved her husband very much And I, before that week was done I loved her too Yes, me, Georges Iscovescu For the first time in my life I was in love But days that are happy fly by on wings Almost before we realized Our week was gone And we drove back reluctantly I more than she, of course. Of course, because I knew that Hammock might be there at the hotel. It was Anita, too. The moment we were back, Anita knew. She knew the truth. She read it in my eyes. I should have known she would go to Amy the moment she could catch her alone. George married you to pass that border fence. The whole idea was mine. He even married you with my ring. Your ring? Sure. Just take a look inside. It says to toots for keeps. Go on, look at it. No. Oh, I know what you're thinking. She's in love with him. All right, I am. I love him just as you do. But I'm his sort. I'm dirt, and so is he. You're not. You're just a little schoolgirl who's learned life out of a book. Yes? Signora Iscovescu is wanted in the lobby. Who wants her? Her husband. And that's Senor Hammock. Hammock? I'll be right down, Flores. No, no, wait. That's Hammock from the immigration department. 
He'll question you. You can't go down. Excuse me, please. You can't give George away. What good would it do? I learned my life from a school book, remember? This is the lesson that wasn't in the book. Now you understand, Mrs. Escovisco. I've got no right to question you down here, uh, not on this side of the border. But if an American's getting a dirty deal... Oh, Mr. Hammock, I've told you I'm that... talking to your wife. Ma'am, I've done a lot of digging on this guy. The way he's made his living, the women. One right here in this hotel. The dancer, his partner? Yes, I've, I've talked with her. Why, anyone can see the setup with half an eye. He asked you to marry him because... But he... he didn't. He didn't ask me. I asked him. All right, he got you to ask him. Why, with this evidence, we can slap the door right in his face. You can get an annulment. An annulment? How do you like that, George? That's America. You pay your taxes, but you get protection. No, thank you, Mr. Hammock. You mean you won't? I'm sorry for your sake, but you haven't got a case. You see, my husband told me all about his past. We love each other very much. Okay, that's how you like it. But remember, I'll be around if you need me. Amy. Yes, George. Amy, I've always been so full of words. You know, big ones, fancy ones. Well, just one more word. Thanks. No. You see, I come from a small town. We eat at the drugstore, but we leave a tip just the same. I don't think I've been too generous for those seven days. Now, may I have the key to the car? Thank you. Here, I'll trade you this wedding ring for it. Goodbye. What could I say? Nothing. Nothing. Now there were no words left at all. I watched her drive away so quietly, so grim, so fast, too fast. Perhaps, perhaps that's why the thoughts stayed in my mind. Like, like a black wave that broke and splashed me with fear. Well, call it a premonition if you will, but I seem to hear the screeching brakes, the tires taking a wild curve, a crash. When first came to me, I knew. You're just now. A telephone. My wife? Pobrecita. Ah, senor. What is it, Flores? What's happened to her? They take her to hospital in Los Angeles. An accident, senor. There was no question now. I knew what I must do. I borrowed Flores car. I drove like mad. Right through the border gate. There was no fence that could have stopped me then. Hammock was standing at the gate as I went through. He shouted, stop! I knew he would follow me. I knew he would send me back. I knew uh, he would never let me in again. But all I could think was, Amy needs me. I must get to her. So straight to the hospital, I drove. It wasn't until I climbed the steps that I knew what it what it really was to be afraid. And then to her room. The doctor, there, beside the bed. Yeah, I am rather afraid it's serious. You see, she was crushed against the steering wheel. Oh. Amy. It hurts her to breathe. She won't even try. There doesn't seem to be any fight left in her. Amy. Amy. No, she doesn't hear. She must. Amy, Amy, it's George. I'm here. I've come to you. 
Amy, you've got to hear me. You've got to breathe. Try, darling, please. Try hard. That's funny, huh? She reacted then. Keep going, sir. Breathe, Amy. That's it. Darling, now. Now again. It's all right now. Everything's all right. We're together now. Remember? Remember that night in the rain? When the windshield wiper said, together, together, together. Now breathe, Amy. Together. Breathe. Breathe. Together. All right, Escovesco. Oh, Hammock. You let us a merry chase up here, but this is the payoff. You can't come in here. This woman has been seriously hurt. Now get out. Oh, I'm sorry, Doc. I won't make a sound. I'll just sit here in my corner and, and wait. Go right ahead. Hear me, darling. Breathe. We are together. Try, please, try to breathe. We are together. 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 Breathe. Together. Breathe together. Breathe together. I'm here. Amy, I'm here with you. Look, doctor. She smiled. Almost a miracle. Well, I, I think the worst is over now. She's breathing fairly steadily. Well, she doesn't need me anymore now. Well, that isn't the way I see it, mister. That girl's going to need you all her life. Right. Oh, please, Mr. Hammock, no jokes. All right, I'm ready now. Ready for what? Me? <laughs> I just came up here for the ride. Oh, please. Look, some things don't go by the book, I guess. Maybe I never saw you crash the gate. Now, don't be a dope. Stay here till she's well and then come back. It won't be long till your papers come through. I'll fix it with the fellas at the gate. So long. Thanks. George. Amy. Amy, darling. George. You're here. I'll always be here, darling. Here with my wife. Thank you, Charles Boyer, Susan Hayward, and Margaret Lindsay for your splendid performances in Paramount's Hold Back the Dawn. Thank you, Mr. Bradley. Everyone in Hollywood is always happy to appear on this program for the benefit of the Motion Picture Relief Fund. In just a moment, both Mr. Boyer and Miss Lindsay will be back at the microphone. But before they return, I'd like you to listen to a word from our hostess, one of America's best-known beauty authorities, Lady Esther. Thank you, Miss Hayward. Did you ever stop to think that nothing ever just happens? There's a reason for everything. For instance, it isn't merely by chance that you find one dress more becoming to you than another. The reason for your preference lies in better design, better material, and better workmanship. And you know, it isn't by chance that so many women find that Lady Esther face powder is more flattering to their skin gives their skin a softer, fresher look. There's a reason for that, too. You see, Lady Esther face powder is twice blended. Now, if it were blended and sifted only once in the usual way, it would be like many other face powders. But it's the second blending, my exclusive twin hurricane blending, that makes the difference. For this time, 
the tiny particles of powder are blown together with the speed of a hurricane. And that, you see, is what gives Lady Esther face powder its wonderfully smooth, fine texture. That's why each shade is so clear and rich and beautiful. Naturally, then, it doesn't surprise me when I read letter after letter from delighted women who say, My skin looks so much more attractive since I've changed to Lady Esther face powder. And now, here is Margaret Lindsay. Friends, a message from our government. Nearly every branch of our war effort, women are filling important and vital services. Right now, there's an urgent need for more women to serve with our army in the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, to fill necessary jobs to free men for combat duty. Service in the wax is not a glamour job. It's full-time war work you'll be proud to do. Members are supplied uniforms and living quarters by the government. They draw army pay and receive army benefits. There's opportunity for advancement, especially for those who enroll early. If you're an American citizen between 21 and 44, without financial dependence and no children under 14, see if service in the WACs isn't the way that you can best help win this war. Get complete information about the WACs at your local Army recruiting office tomorrow morning. And if you live in Canada, enroll in the Canadian Women's Army Corps. Thank you. And now here's Mr. Boyer. Next week, Lady Esther will present the Stringill Players in the first radio performance of one of the funniest pictures of the year. It is called They Got Me Covered, and it stars Dorothy Lamour and Bob Hope. Next week, Lady Esther will present Bob Hope and Dorothy Lamour and They Got Me Covered. Be sure to listen. Charles Boyer is the producer and star of For All We Know, now in production at Universal Studios. Susan Hayward is currently being seen in the Paramount All-Star production, Star Spangled Rhythm. Margaret Lindsay will soon be seen in the Columbia picture, The Crime Doctor. Music on tonight's show was arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Screen Guild players are presented every Monday night at this time by Lady Esther. This is Truman Bradley speaking for Lady Esther, saying thank you, good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. This is Don Hollenbeck, CBS London, October 12, 1492. After three days of silence, we're going to try to reestablish shortwave contact with the missing Columbus expedition. For three days now, there has been not a single word from John Daly, our CBS correspondent, aboard the Columbus flagship Santa Maria in the Western Ocean. No one in Europe knows what has happened. By now, the Santa Maria and her two sister ships, the Nina and the Pinta, have either sighted land turned back to Spain or met an unknown fate in uncharted seas. When last heard from, the fleet was still afloat, but a crisis had arisen which eloquently revealed the difficulties which have beset the little flotilla. October 12th, 1492, London. You are there. Europe speculate. What has happened to the Columbus expedition? Triumph or disaster? CBS takes you back to the fears, the hopes, and the suspense of 1492. All things are as they were then, except for one thing. When CBS is there, you are there. You are there is based on authentic historical fact and quotation. And now, CBS London 
and Don Hollenbeck. Contact with John Daly, who has a shortwave transmitter aboard the Santa Maria, from which he has been sending us regular broadcasts. Three days ago, at the crisis of the voyage, those broadcasts ceased. Perhaps the fleet has run into adverse atmospheric conditions. Perhaps John Daly has had trouble with his transmitter. Or perhaps, and this is of course entirely possible, the Columbus expedition is lost. Our circuits are open now. We'll try once more to make contact with John Daly out in the Western Ocean. Come in, John Daly. Go ahead, John Daly. This is CBS London calling the Columbus Expedition. CBS London calling the Columbus Expedition. Come in, John Daly. Come in, John Daly. Once more, we have failed to make contact. We'll try again in a few moments. From the character of the men on the expedition, there is good reason to believe that the three ships and the men aboard them will carry this voyage through successfully. To show you the type of men and the strength of the ships they sail, we take you now to Palos, Spain, for the personal testimony of people directly connected with the expedition. Go ahead, Ken Roberts, in Palos, Spain. Here in this little seaport town north of the city of Cadiz on the west coast of Spain, the Columbus expedition departed 70 days ago. Here, the ships were outfitted. Here, the 90 men aboard were recruited. Here, in a very real sense, is the heart and soul of the Columbus expedition. And here beside me now is the brother of the Admiral, Bartolomeo Columbus. Senor Columbus, what do you think has happened in the three days of silence since we last heard from your brother's flagship? Uh, with my head, Senor, I, I do not know more than you, but... With my heart, I know my brother is safe and will accomplish his great mission. What makes you so sure, senor? Well, my brother has the best ships afloat. He has strong-hearted and tested mariners. And he is a skillful and experienced navigator. But above all, senor, my brother has a plan. A dream to reach the Indies by sailing west. Senor Bartolomeo, how long have you been associated with your brother and his great project? Uh, for 15 years, my brother tried to interest the kings of England, France, Portugal, and the Republic of Genoa. But they called him an impractical dreamer. Alone, the king and queen of Spain understood. Tell me, Senor Columbus, has your brother the admiral been a sailor all his life? Oh, yes. Our father was a poor weaver in Genoa. Uh, the sea first called my brother when he was a little boy. He sailed in the surface of Genoese merchants and his ship was sunk by pirates. Pirates? Where? Uh, it was off the southern coast of Portugal in 1476. And what happened to the admiral? Uh, my brother was wounded in the battle. Uh, in the water, he hanged onto a piece of wood, and though he was bleeding and his strength was flowing from him, he swam to the shore. My, my brother has the great courage. He is not easily conquered. He has fought the sea before and beaten it. He is fighting it now and he will win. Thank you, Senor Bartolomeo Columbus. The Admiral's brother has shown you the quality of the leader of the missing Columbus expedition. To tell us now about the qualities of the men who sail under him, I'm going to call on the wife of one of the mariners, Senora Ruiz. Senora Ruiz will speak in Spanish, which I will interpret, and 
I hope you will hear in her voice the confidence born of her faith in her husband. A faith which is typical of the families here whose men are aboard that fleet. Senora Ruiz, ¿cree usted que su marido regresará? Es posible para un hombre el regresar. Sí lo creo. Él conoce el mar. Ha sido un marino toda su vida. Y su padre lo fue antes que él. I asked Senora Ruiz if she believed her husband was coming back. She said he knows the sea. He has been a sailor all his life, and if it is possible for a man to come back, he will. Pero, Senora, ¿y qué me dice usted de esos terrores misteriosos, los monstruos, las cuevas, los remolinos? ¿Qué das el fin de la tierra? Nadie puede saber nada acerca de esas cosas. Y tales contrariedades se sucedieran, estoy segura de que estará en las manos de Dios. Pensarlo me da miedo, me preocupo. No puedo conciliar el sueño de noche. Pero, pero rezo y tengo fe. Gracias, señora. As for the terrors of the deep, sea monsters, whirlpools, other things that are said to exist out there on the ocean, she says for such things, he is in the hands of God. The Senora Ruiz admits that she is afraid. She worries and cannot sleep nights, but she does pray, and she does have faith, great faith. So does Father Juan Perret of St. George's Church here in Palos, the spiritual leader of this little seafaring community. Father Perret, you gave the Admiral a communion before he sailed, and you pronounced a benediction for the fleet, didn't you? Eh? It was a cool morning, gray before the dawn. The people stood on the dock and waved farewell. The women cried and held up their babies for their husbands to see. The seagulls went with the ship, and the church bell rang. See? <laughs> It was the cool morning when the Admiral sailed in search of the setting sun. And you think, Padre, that... Have no fear, my son. They are safe. The Admiral sails for God on a new crusade. God will protect him. Do you speak, Padre, of the Admiral's desire for a crusade to rescue the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem from the Muslim Turks? See, my son. That is why the Admiral has sailed to the Indies, to find the treasures there and use them in the holy war against the infidel. So, as I told your colleague, Juan Dali, just before he sailed with the expedition, they cannot fail. But, Padre, they have been out of touch for three days. Out of touch with men, perhaps. Not out of touch with God. Gracias, Padre. And now this is Ken Roberts returning you to CBS London. This is Don Hollenbeck in London. Once more, we will try to make contact with our correspondent John Daly aboard the Columbus flagship Santa Maria. This is CBS London calling John Daly and the Columbus expedition. Come in, John Daly. Come in, Santa Maria. The signal is not of broadcast quality, 
That sound of voices may be what the technicians call ghost voices. Weird patterns of static which sound like people talking. But on the other hand, it may be John Daly trying to get through, so we'll call him in again. This is CBS London calling John Daly with the Columbus Expedition. And once again, nothing. But we'll continue to try to make contact. It's possible the fleet has run into atmospheric or ocean conditions with which men have never had any experience because the Columbus expedition has been sailing in completely unexplored and uncharted waters. Strange things have already happened on the voyage. John Daly's shortwave description of events on the afternoon of September 21st is typical. We made a record of that broadcast here in our studios and we play it for you now. days out of the Canary Islands. For the past three days, the men of both the fleets have lived in growing terror. We are in a sea of weeds. Nobody has ever seen anything like this before. That's the lookout at the mast calling out weeds to the horizon. And the man at the bow answers, bow still free. As far as the eye can see, in all directions, there stretches a great meadow of weeds of green and yellow. And it looks solid, solid enough to walk on at night. When your imagination is at work, you think you see strange shapes moving about. But the ocean hardly moves. The mat of weeds holds it down. You can put your hand in and lift up great masses of it. But there's no clear water underneath. The weeds close over the hole as fast as you make it. We first saw these weeds five days ago. On the 16th, these weeds were scattered then, appearing in strips and islands. But slowly they... They closed around us till they became the present solid mass. How long this will go on, I don't know. The men don't know, not even the admiral. And the admiral's pilot, Senor Ferralonso Nino, beside me here, doesn't look very optimistic either. Senor Nino, is there any prospect that these uh, weeds will break up and give us clear water once again? No, Senor. I very much fear that the weeds, they do not break up. They get thicker. Thicker all the time. Well, what will happen, Senor Nino, if the, the thickness of the weeds increases? We will be trapped here, stranded in this desolate waste. We will be frozen in. This is Don Hollenbeck again. A sea matted with weeds from which the ships finally emerged is just one of the unknown terrors the Columbus expedition may be up against at this very moment. On October 9th, John Daly reported another strange situation which changed suddenly... And here's the record of that shortwave broadcast, which we made in our studios at the time of its transmission. This is John Daly, a little after sunrise of October 9th, 1492. It's hot, baking hot. For three days, we've been sitting motionless on this heated oven of an ocean, not moving. There's not a breath of wind. We're in a dead calm in the middle of nowhere, and we're worried about our water supply. Even the voice of that cabin boy that you can hear singing in the background sounds harsh. And by the way, he's chanting the traditional ditty with which he has turned the hourglass. Admiral Columbus insists that traditional ceremonies be kept up even though it's been 30 days since we last saw land. He feels that it helps morale, but the morale aboard this ship and the other two ships of the fleet can't hold out much longer. The men have only one thought now, to turn back, to go home, to write off this expedition as a failure. They're in an ugly mood. 
four of the crew are condemned murderers who obtained pardons from the Spanish king by sailing with Admiral Columbus. And they are the ringleaders now. Desperate men with nothing to lose. I don't think it's going too far to say that there's mutiny in their hearts. They might have seized this ship or these ships before this and forced the return except for just one thing. There's no wind, not even a breath of air. And the silence is so complete that the men are afraid of their own voices. Even the Pinzon brothers, the captains of the Nina and the Pinta, have petitioned the Admiral to turn back, but he won't listen. He's stubbornly set on a dream to reach the Indies by going west, and it, it's become an obsession, a fanaticism. However, it's no longer a question of the Indies now. It's men's lives. The crews aboard the ships of this fleet are liable to make serious trouble if the wind ever blows again. But that's the matter. Ah! Nothing has happened. Hollenbeck in London again. That was the last word heard from the Columbus expedition. Since then, we've had no luck getting through. Our circuits have been open all through this broadcast, and now our technician tells us those ghost voices are back and that the signals are clearing up a bit, so let's listen. We're not sure yet. It may be nothing but those strange patterns of static coming in from the Western Ocean. Wait, wait, I thought I heard CBS. It is, it is. It's John Daly's voice. The Columbus expedition is found again. John Daly's gotten through. He's trying to establish contact with us. This is CBS London calling John Daly. CBS London calling John Daly. Come in, Daly. Go ahead, Daly. I hear you. I hear you, CBS. Can you get me clearly? Are you getting me clearly? Yes, yes, we hear you, John, and we're certainly glad to hear from you again. Go ahead, John Daly. Go ahead, Daly. I'm sure glad to hear you. You must have been wondering what happened to us. All Europe has been wondering, John. We were afraid you dropped off the earth. Oh, nothing as bad as that, John. As a matter of fact, I got news. Great news. That's why I've been trying frantically to get through. I can only hope I'm coming through plainly. It must be those weird atmospheric conditions, Graham. Probably magnetic forces, because the needle of... What's the news, John? Have you found land? 
Tell us the news, John. What's what? the news? What's the news? Oh, well, look. Look, my great news is that uh, land is there. It must be there. We haven't seen it yet, but we've had so many uh, conclusive indications that we're pretty sure we're going to find it. Lots of migrating birds have been flying overhead. There have been floating fogs, pieces of carved wood, and finally, just about an hour ago, a branch was fished out of the water with the leaves still fresh and a little flower clinging to it that resembles those uh, uh, dog roses on the hedges in Castile. Uh, any moment now, while I'm speaking, you may hear the cannon from any one of our three ships. That's the prearranged signal that uh, the one of them has sighted land. It's a beautiful night out here, or morning, I should say. You know, it's uh, 2 o'clock now, October 12th. The moon is fast full, riding high up on our port quarter. Jupiter is rising. Saturn has just set. The stars, however, are dim in the reflection of the moon. It's very bright, but I can still make out the square of Pegasus and Casabille's chair. I can also see our other ship. The Pinta is out there in the lead, plunging and rolling and uh, throwing spray. Her sails, with that great green cross of the Christian sovereigns of Spain on them, are bellying out into the wind. All of us, by the way, are carrying full sail, and that's probably kind of dangerous at night, where there's a chance that there may be hidden shoals, but nobody seems to care. The excitement is, is so intense. We just don't care about shoals. Our drive is on to the promised land, which lies somewhere out there ahead of us. Perhaps it will be some time yet The signal has come from the Pinta. Land! Land! That was the signal for land. Land is out there ahead of us somewhere. I'm standing down on the deck at that speed. But the lookout up in the mast sees it. He's pointing forward. The men are starting the rail, straining the sea. Oh, it's land all right. Land, although I still can't take it out. Somebody else has just seen it. And there's the moral. They're starting out of the rail, pointing forward. And I can see it now, too. A white sand cliff gleaming on the horizon. And a, another one of those sand cliffs, and there's a dark line of land connecting them. Land! Land we found what we came after. Pandemonium has broken loose here on the decks of the Santa Maria. The strain the men have been under is snapped. They're shouting and laughing and crying, slapping each other on the back. There's no limits to their joy. And I, I'm finding it kind of hard to talk myself. I'm all choked up. The only thing I can say is we've made it. We've made it. We've arrived at the Indies. I'll be back with you soon to describe the actual landing. And until then, I return you now to CBS in London. This is Don Hollenbeck in London, and this is the moment all Europe has been waiting for. And now to explain the meaning of this momentous news we've just heard from John Daly... We have at a CBS microphone one of Europe's most famous geographers, the Florentine Amerigo Vespucci. We take you now to Barcelona and Amerigo Vespucci. I am Amerigo Vespucci. It is impossible to conceive the full significance of the news which we have just heard from the Santa Maria. The land which Admiral Cristoforo Colombo has reached is Chipango, or the legendary island of Japan. Behind it, lies the kingdom of India and the territory of the Grand Khan of Katai, or China. Of these lands, the famous Venetian explorer Marco Polo has told us that they are rich beyond imagination. The people eat off golden plates. 
they walk on floors of gold. The children wear pearls, and the women dress in satins and pearls. Admiral Colombo has shown the way. Shortly, many will follow. Many men. I will be among them. Thank you, Amerigo Vespucci. And now to the royal palace here, and Ned Calma. This is Ned Calmer reporting to you from the throne room of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella in Barcelona. The king is speaking to his subjects, celebrating Columbus's sighting of the Indies. Ferdinand is a man of about 40. I've never seen him so excited before. He's permitted himself to loosen his regal calm. He's smiling and he shakes a bit as he fumbles with the paper from which he's reading. The king has been announcing the honors and rewards which he will bestow on the admiral. Columbus will be governor and viceroy of the lands he has found with a tenth part of the riches therein, free of all taxes. And furthermore, he will be entitled to call himself Don Christopher Columbus, grandee of Spain and admiral of the ocean seas. Now, Queen Isabella is speaking, or as she's called here in Spain, Isabel. The queen is a charming, sympathetic woman, also about 40. The Queen has said that she thanks the Lord that in his mercy he sent Don Christopher Columbus to the Spanish court. She has a thousandfold justified her faith in him, for she would have pledged her royal jewels if need be, she said, to send him on his voyage. The ceremonies here in the court continue. But CBS cuts away now to La Rabida and Arthur Hannes. This is Arthur Hannes in the monastery of La Rabida, a mile and a half from the little seaport town of Palos, where Admiral Columbus began his great voyage. With me at our CBS microphone is the Admiral's 12-year-old son, Diego. Young Diego has a prepared statement in Spanish, which he will read, and I will translate. Under, Diego, under. Dice... <coughs> Dice este mi libro que el sabio Seneca dijo un día. In my school book, there is a speech of Seneca's that reads, Tiempo vendrá en que el mar océano descorrerá el velo de su misterio y hará ver en lontananza duendas de grandes piedras. An age will come after many years when the ocean will loose the chain of things and a huge land lie revealed. En que tifos revelará nuevos mundos. En que Tule no será ya la última. When Typhus will disclose new worlds, and Tule no more will be the ultimate. Y ahora, escrito y al margen, tal profecita, cumplidola a mi padre el almirante, en el año de 1492. Today I wrote beside it in the margin. This prophecy was fulfilled by my father, the Admiral, in the year 1492. Gracias, Diego Columbus. This is Arthur Hannes at La Rabida. I return you to CBS in London. This is Don Hollenbeck in London. We've made contact again with the Columbus expedition. And now for the story of the landing on the Indies shore, this 12th day of October, 1492, we switch you to John Daly. This is John Daly with a shortwave portable transmitter in a ship. Growing towards land, we're headed for a fine coral beach. Behind it are trees. Perhaps this is the park of some nobleman's estate. But there are no horses in sight yet, no palaces, no rich houses.
houses, no people in silks and pearls on the beach, no gold rooftops glistening in the sunrise, but then we're still some way off and so, oh, I can see a man, the first man of the Indies. He's come out of the trees and others are running out after him. Dozens of them, they're streaming down to the water's edge. And many of them, as predicted, are richly dressed in tight-fitting garments of red and blue and... No! Gee, hot of that! They're not dressed at all! What I mistook for clothes is paint. These men are painted every color of the rainbow, but otherwise they haven't got a stitch on. The natural color of their bodies is brown, light brown, a fine, well-built people, and now a boat has touched bottom. Come on, over the side we go! I'm in the water now, up to my knees, but my feet are on land. The ground of the Indies. As we wait ashore, a man of the Indies comes rushing forward. He's smiling, holding out his hand. Greetings, my friend. Greetings from Europe. I don't understand, but now Senor Torres, our official interpreter, is talking to him, and he'll have something about it in just a minute. What's the matter, Senor Torres? Senor Torres, can't you understand what this man is saying? No, Senor, I will ask him what language is in Hebrew and Arabic, but he speaks a strange tongue, a language I never heard before. But Torres, if these are the people of the Indies... Indies, not Indies! These people are barbarians! They do not understand me! Here are the fleet trumpets and drums, and Admiral Columbus is coming ashore. In front of him goes the Royal Standard. Behind him walk the Pinson brothers, captains of the Pinson and the Nika. The Admiral has taken the Royal Standard and planted it in the sand. He looks across the beach and to the forest beyond, surveying this new strange land. Now he's knelt down. A hush has fallen over the crowd. Even these, these people here of the Indies stand around in sound-like amazement. Seem to know something important is happening. Admiral Columbus bent down to kiss the sand. Now he lifts his head to me. The Admiral is still kneeling, head bowed in prayer. He's taken possession of this land in the name of their Catholic Majesties, Ferdinand and Isabella, and named it San Salvador. And now the Admiral has risen. He's looking curiously at the natives. No doubt he is wondering, as we are, just who these people are and why they aren't dressed the way we expected to find them. Why they don't speak the language that we expected to hear. At any rate, with the official ceremonies over... San Salvador, October 12, 1492. Columbus discovers America. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's shows. You can find more from the Screen Guild Theater. You are there. The Relic Radio Show, all the other podcasts, thousands of other old-time radio episodes, all at relicradio.com. Don't forget to donate if you're able to help out. And my thanks again to those who have, and thanks for joining me this week. I'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.